Did you pick up on something that was rather disturbing in tonight's gospel reading? Jesus cured many who were sick, but not all. He drove out many demons, but not all. Why were some healed and others not? What must have gone through the minds of those who saw their friends and neighbors healed, but they or their loved ones were not healed? Is the divine mercy for a select few? Let's backtrack a bit to our first reading from the book of Job. Job said, So I have been assigned months of misery. The sacred text uses the word yamal for misery. It is a word that is used some 75 times in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And 50 of those uses occur in a section called the wisdom literature. The mystery of suffering, why we suffer, was as important to the ancients as it is to us. The Hebrew word carries the meaning we normally attribute to misery, but as typical with Hebrew, it carries other meanings as well, and it is understood that all these meanings are to be understood at the same time. Yamal, therefore, refers to the condition of suffering, but also of exhaustion the exhaustion that one has in illness, but that can end in a benefit to the sufferer, of enduring a period of intense struggle and difficulty that will bring about gain. Job's yamal, his misery, his horrible illness, the loss of all his possessions, the sudden death of his children, even the savage advice of his own wife who told him, curse God and die, threw him into despair. Suffering can very easily do that to us. Insisting that he had done nothing wrong, to warrant such treatment, that he had always conducted his life and all of his affairs with righteousness, Job demanded that God appear to him and answer him. And God did. From out of the whirlwind, that is, the chaos of Job's suffering, God never gave an answer as to why Job suffered but instead offered something far more consoling, the realization that to be made in the love and the image of God, to bear the imprint of the divine as all human beings do, does not exempt any of us from suffering. And when we suffer, God is found in that whirlwind, in the midst of the chaos suffering creates. So the book of Job teaches us God does not distance himself from us in our suffering. It is we who use our suffering to distance ourselves from God. Still, we cannot help but ask, why does God permit suffering? We tend to think, 
well, Lord, I, I really don't deserve this. You know, Lord, I, I'm essentially a good person. Are we really? Here's the problem. If we are essentially good, what need do we have for God? Think about it. If we're essentially good, what need was there for God to become one of us, suffer and die on the cross? It's a little bit like saying, well, gee, Lord, um, that was so very thoughtful of you, but really quite unnecessary. You see, Lord, the exercise of my personal goodness is more than sufficient for me to merit eternal life. I really don't need a gospel. I don't need sacraments. I don't even need a church. Just my own natural goodness and the acts of kindness that flow from my natural goodness. But again, Lord, thank you. It was a nice gesture. Now, I doubt too many of us would be so arrogant to use those words. But at some level... That is what many today believe. It's what many think. And it is here that both the Bible and human experience slams us with the truth. We are not that good. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 13 says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for us unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 64 verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. The fall from grace the original sin and the loss of our original holiness we once had leaves human nature terribly wounded. We are at odds with God, with creation, with each other, within ourselves. Every one of us can empathize with St. Paul when he says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, let's be clear. We are not essentially evil, totally depraved, as I was taught in my Protestant church. No matter how severe the fall, no matter how debilitated our nature, we are still made in the love and the image of God. We still bear the divine imprint but neither are we essentially good like angels. So if we're not essentially evil and we're not essentially good, then what the heck are we? We are essentially screwed up, fallen creatures, groping our way in a fallen universe with other equally screwed up fallen beings. This biblical principle, reinforced by human experience, runs against the grain of our society that insists we exalt the self, improve the self, self-actualization. And this is always doomed to failure, precisely because the self is so defective and it cannot be saved except by the grace of God. So when we ask, why do the good suffer? The honest and admittedly difficult answer to hear is because no one is that good. Perhaps the better question to ask is 
Why do any of us receive blessings at all? Now back to the gospel. All who were ill or possessed by demons were brought to Jesus. He cured many, but not all. And that just seems to us to be so what? Fill in the blank. Unfair. Thank you. But here lies another problem. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18, verse 29, conveys God's answer to those who claim that God is not fair. He says, are my ways unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore, I will judge you, all of you, according to your ways. Are we fair in our dealings with each other? Didn't we create laws to say that it's okay to suck a living child out of its mother's womb? Aren't we creating laws that says it's okay to send an elderly, terminally ill person off into eternity with a little shot? Are we fair in dismissing a spouse because we found someone else? We could go on with this. Are we fair in how we treat the sick, the dying, the suffering? You see, Hebrew has no word to describe God as being fair. The concept of fairness applies only to relationships between fallen human beings. Hebrew has words to describe God as just, as holy, as righteous, but there is no word that describes God as fair because he's not fair, and thank God he isn't. The divine mercy was present to all who were brought to Jesus as he's present to all of us right now tonight. The divine mercy was in the midst of all the chaos their suffering created for them and their loved ones as he is in the midst of the chaos of our suffering right now. When Jesus showed compassion by curing the many, the question we avoid asking by not looking beyond the miracle is, what did the many do with their restoration to health and soundness? No doubt they were grateful. No doubt they got on with their lives. But did they extend that divine compassion to those who did not receive a cure? Did they allow their restoration to encourage them to reach out to those still suffering? There are some other questions the miracle begs to ask. What did those who did not receive a cure do after witnessing those miracles? Did they turn inward in self-pity and bitterness? Did they fall for the demonic temptation to wallow in the illusion that God did not love them as much as he did the others? Did they allow themselves to rejoice despite their suffering to see in those cures the sign of divine mercy present in suffering? Did they allow that opportunity to see that their suffering can be offered up as a precious gift to God, a means of glorifying God, and that perhaps their not being cured 
was a sign that God knew they had the strength to do so. The divine mercy cured many, but not all. And the gospel is eerily silent as to what happened to those cured and those not cured. And rightly so, because the bigger question is this. What do you and I do with the gift of the divine mercy, the divine compassion, whether we are cured or not?